0: I would say the panic attack. Not only did it make me realise that panic attacks are a real thing, so you know, for people out there who have had panic attacks, that stuff's mental. Definitely don't want to do that again. You know, that's that's a scary thing. Um, and yeah, it was life changing.
1: Mm-hmm. And it sounds like it, it was actually a symptom of a much deeper issue, a much deeper misalignment between your path and where you were at at the time, and maybe. Sometimes if, if somebody has this panic attack or if they're feeling extremely stressed, it's an opportunity to reassess the overall direction of their life. Because you know, in the end, we only get one shot at it. One shot, let's make it count, right? Hey everyone, Daniel Topor here and welcome to the Dancing With Doubt podcast, where we go deep into how leaders have overcome adversity to unleash their success and delve into the why. Why are we really here on this big, beautiful earth? Get ready for an enlightening episode as I introduce my next guest, Lloyd Thompson. Lloyd's journey is a testament to the power of transformation. Coming from a working class background in the UK, Lloyd's life took a profound turn when a panic attack forced him to reevaluate his path. This life altering moment prompted him to bid farewell to the corporate grind and set out on the entrepreneurial adventure of a lifetime. Since then, Lloyd has launched his own successful outsourced director of operations business, Virtual D.O.O., and defied the odds by not losing his hair in the process. He's big on understanding the why and integrating Stoicism and Buddhism belief systems into everyday working life, and is passionate about making a difference to business owners around the globe. In this episode, we cover topics such as taking the plunge from the corporate world into entrepreneurship, the importance of finding your tribe in the business world navigating big decisions with the head heart and gut and values-based decision making looking forward to being inspired and entertained with lloyd so whether you're tuning in from your bedroom or the boardroom it's great to have you here episode 11 let's go lloyd welcome to the show great to get together again
0: yeah, honor to be here thanks so much for having me
1: yeah yeah it's been been amazing to connect i mean we've been uh we've been in contact since the start of the year and I've been uh, marinating on some good questions that I wanted to ask you, so welcome to the spotlight.
0: Look, looking forward to sharing and talking about it,
1: <laughs> Lloyd. It's quite remarkable that you've not only excelled in the world of entrepreneurship but managed to keep your hair intact.
0: Well, What's I don't your know secret sauce? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've got a beautiful front view, but I mean, things turn nasty around there, you know. Like oh no. It's kind of- <laughs> I, it, I'm taller than my hair at the back and I'm making it up for the front here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, nonetheless, it is there for the most part. So, <laughs> what has been your secret source to thriving in this new world? Well, at the time, new world, but also maintaining your sanity since then?
0: Uh I, I think probably, like, finding your why, you know? I mean, for me, um, I started off in um, pretty humble beginnings and I... Um, I was destined to join the military. I think that's what people were doing in their uh, in the hometown that I grew up in. That was uh, the home of the British Army, which is um, I I grew up in a place called Farnborough. It's bordered on Aldershot, and uh, back in sunny England. And I think having low expectations was a good start. And I think being destined to join the army and then having a U-turn at about the age of sixteen, where I thought, you know what, this is this is just not for me, and I think. Seeing that lots of people around me were being prepared to go to war, and I was totally in it for the wrong reasons. Like I was in it for I liked going camping, uh, you know, I liked doing map and compass exercises, and um, I, I basically um, just it was like kind of scouts with guns, and I really enjoyed that activity, but I just think looking back at that, it was just the wrong place for me, and meanwhile dialing back to about the age of 12 13 I started getting into computers and uh, that was a really important transition or a tangent from my career into the army into where I am now I'd say that's one of the big turning points and um, well how what far was down? it a family
1: right. expectation that you would join the military or was that just what
0: people did in your town at that time yeah Well, pretty much a family expectation, but also what people did in my town. So yeah, I mean, if I in my school, a huge proportion of the people there would be in uh, military families, and a lot of people would go to the army. And and then there's nothing wrong with that. By the way, I totally see the need for military. Um, But I don't know, I just didn't really see myself as someone who was looking to go to war. And meanwhile, sort of dull back quite a few years back around the age of 12. I, um, taken an interest in computers and it was kind of indirect actually. I had saved up from my paper round money around about 12, 13 to go out and buy a super Nintendo. And I declared to my parents, you know, this is it. I'm going to cycle down to the metropolis of Farnborough and go and buy one of these things. And they're like, what, where where did you get that money? And I'm I'm like, I've saved up. And, um, so basically they did something outrageous and decided to go halves with me on a family computer, which is definitely not what I wanted. I wanted a Super Nintendo. And so we got a family computer, and this thing and they clearly don't make this type of thing anymore. It's it was a built-in, it had a a PC on one side and it shared the monitor with a Sega Mega Drive, so another like a games console. So I yeah. was I was <laughs> this was a kind of reasonable compromise. It wasn't the Super Nintendo I was after. And so I got We're talking into...
1: about the '90s here, aren't we? Uh,
0: let me see. Yeah, we're in the yeah. early '90s now. Yeah, <laughs> Margaret Thatcher is the prime minister. I don't know how much uh, your listener would know about that time, but so I had, I had a, a games console mixed with a computer. I wasn't interested in the computer until a family member, a family friend, came around and started typing some words into the black screen. Which I later discovered is called MS DOS, and I wasn't really interested in that. And then they were upgrading the operating system or something like that. And when they left, I thought oh, I'm gonna have a go at that. So they left, flipped into the back, typed some of these commands in the black screen, completely ruined the computer. Parents were <laughs> furious. And uh, so just to like bring that, this hey? guy back, <laughs> just yeah, just you know, delete this, install that. No idea what I was doing. Just destroy. had to get this friend back and he came over and he reinstalled it all again and he he was not over the moon about it anyway cut the long story short i did again i I promised i wouldn't do it again but i did i thought i knew more this time and he said to me look if you're gonna mess around with the family computer read this book and it was the ms dos 5 manual and so yeah lo and behold it did break the family computer again but next time i had a bit of an inkling how to fix it and i was so, around the age of 16, where I didn't join the army, I had this interest in computers. And suddenly, I realized that that was quite a good career option and that was the beginning. So, I think um, I have to thank that turning point of going hard of the family on a computer and destroying it in early days into um, having a reasonably reliable uh, career in, in the IT business.
1: Mm. And it sounds like that wasn't the only turning point in your life when you had to make a big decision and run with it
0: right well um, i think we mentioned earlier about in um, in your introduction there there was i guess later on down the road i was in um i've been in corporate so i made this i made this uh turning point from being a, a technical operator someone who was a computer programmer and uh, later on I was tech leading and then eventually uh, managing uh, large teams and meanwhile in the backdrop of my life I'd been in a long-term relationship we'd been together for a lot like eight years and that that was falling apart and things were being sort of dealt down from the management above that I was not like I was like their mercenary I had to go and go and do some things that were really disagreeing with me and um so I was sitting at my desk one day, and I—I um, I was like to say I was fairly fit. This is a few years back now. I was fairly fit. I was running a city running group called Pain in the Domain, and I suddenly felt this huge pain in my chest. And uh, I'm thinking, what's going on? You know, is, am I? am thinking, okay, I'm now. I'm sweating. Huge pain. Feeling really, really not well. I think the, are these the symptoms of a heart attack? You know, what's going on? And um, And there was no one on my side of the floor either. And so I messaged one of my trusted team members to just come over. It's like, hey, can you come over for an update on a project or something? So he comes over to my desk. And I'm like, inclined back in my seat, just going, all right, mate, how's it going? And he's thinking, you're not looking so well. And uh, I'd been asking him to give me some update on a project or something. And then he said, Lloyd, are you okay? And I was like, "Uh, actually, I'm not feeling great. I'd just like you to hang around for a few minutes. Anyway. I recovered from this, whatever it was. And I went to see a cardiologist because I'm sure there was something wrong with my heart. And he wired me all up and went running. Yeah. And uh, he said, no, your heart's fine, mate. It's, you know, and I said, well, what the hell was that? And he said, "If you got a stressful job? And I went, yeah, but yeah, I'm kind of fine. And he's like, I reckon you had a panic attack. And I thought, what? Panic attack? i got to say, before that point, I must admit, I didn't think they were a real thing. Like, I just thought it was something that, you know, actors or people who are being dramatic said, "Oh, I'm having a panic attack." You know, I just did not even think it was yeah, a real yeah. thing. Like,
1: kind of like our Tony Soprano, if you if you've seen The Sopranos, um, you know, initially he's dismissing the panic attack, and, and all of a sudden he comes to the realization that this is not only real, but it's a serious problem. Like, this is we're not stuffing around here.
0: Yeah, I. That's exactly what it was like. I did see The Sopranos, a brilliant series. And I was, yeah, I just didn't think it was a real thing until then. And I thought, well, there's no way I want to have another one of those things. And so I was, in my head, I was thinking, I just don't want to do this anymore. Like, there were some things around my, like my relationship that were being dealt with. But also in corporate world, I was just starting to think that I wanted to change. Like, I knew that I was either going to go... Uh, contracting or I was going to start for a startup or I was going to do my own thing. And the thing that was at at my gut, which was really, really frustrating me, which I think was one of the causes, was the fact fact that I felt like I had no control and I Mm -hmm. felt like well, at least if I have my own business or I'm a contractor, which i had been before, that I can blame everything on myself. And there's something really nice about that. You know, if you make a mistake, it's like, well, it's my fault. If if you have a business and you have a team and you're ultimately accountable and it's kind of freeing.
1: Yeah, you're the master of your own destiny.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, I'm not going to paint it through rose tinted glasses. You have plenty of hurdles as a business owner, but... uh, you're ultimately accountable for whatever you do. And I haven't had another one since. You know, it was just so freeing to go off and do my own thing. So it didn't happen immediately after. Like, I didn't leave my job immediately after. But that was the point where the seed was planted in my mind Mm. where I thought, no, this is not what I want to do anymore. And um, because I've been working in corporations since I was 17. Like, even um, before university, I'd got some work at, the likes of say, Dell, and then through university, I work for IBM, and then other big corporates along the way. And I'm very grateful to those businesses for setting me up and, um, you know, being able to buy property and stuff like that. But it's a huge demand on your time. And so I just got to a point where I thought, well, you know what, I want time and location flexibility, that's what I want to do. And if it means in the beginning that there's going to be some kind of financial trade-off, then mm. so be it. And um, fortunately, in the beginning, the trade-off wasn't so bad. And um, yeah, now now it's um, it's in a pretty pretty reasonable place. And thanks to, thanks to a panic attack.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Fantastic. Well, thanks for sharing that, Lloyd. That's, yeah, that's a really interesting story. I guess th- there's a good lesson that I picked up from there. And you mentioned that you have to listen to your gut. And, you know, I'm, I'm in the corporate world at the moment. I have been for the past 15 or so years. So I've tread a path, you know, in some respects, maybe similar to, to, to yours before you, um, before you went off on your entrepreneurial adventure. And I've noticed that we don't generally listen to our gut. So we might be aware that there's feelings in there. We might be aware that maybe something's not right. Maybe we're not fully aligned, but the head, tends to take over anything that the heart or the gut Mm. says. And Mm -hmm. you can suppress that feeling for a period of time. Some people suppress it forever. Some people may not get that feeling. Obviously, we're all different. But something within you knew that this was not your path. Is that a fair statement?
0: Yeah, you know, and I love what you said there uh, about your head and your gut because... I can't remember who said this, but someone said, for you to know if you really want to do something, you've got to ask yourself the, the questions to three parts. You've got to ask your head, you've got to ask your heart, and you've got to ask your mm-hmm. gut. And if all three of those things are aligned, then you know it's the right the, the right decision. And I think for me, I was, and I have been very much ruled by logic, my head. And, and so, my logic will be saying, we should go this way. You're in a good job. This is a good position. You know, this is a safe direction to go. Uh, there's
1: security, there's structure. Why wouldn't we stay on this path? Yeah. It is very logical.
0: And it's like, and, and security is something, I think people are motivated by different things. And actually, when I hire people, and I work with other businesses, I find out what's important to them. And so for me, security is really important to me. Some people are much more motivated by the abundance of, Uh, Wealth for me, it's flexibility and security. I think partly because I had humble beginnings, and so that's why I, you know, not having a financial fallback, it's like security is everything. So, yeah, I think when you look at things, listening to your heart and your head and your gut, you're able to get clarity on where you want to go.
1: Mm -hmm. Do you find that these sort of conversations that we're happening now about the head, the heart, the gut? you know, do you find that they tend to be a little bit more uncommon in the corporate world, say, compared to with other business owners that have been on a profound journey?
0: I like that question. Um, I feel like in corporate world, maybe, and I can think of plenty of exceptions, by the way, but I think sometimes you're prevented from being your true self. Whereas, you know, I feel like with my bus- with my business, I am very open about my values and my experiences with people. And they all like it and they're on the same wavelength as me or they're not. And I'm okay to not work with people who are not in the same line of values. So I feel like in the entrepreneurial world, people are a lot more open and sharing about how they feel, what their values are, the kind of clients they want to work with, what their vision is. And in corporate world, a little bit less so because I feel like in corporate world, you've got the overarching vision and direction of the business, and you've got to stay pretty much within that framework. And there can be a lot of freedom between those guidelines. But I think in the entrepreneurial world, you're, you you really choose your own direction as much as you like. That said, it's a double-edged sword. Like, It can also be a bit of a lonely sport in the sense that while you're there for your team and you can help them drive and coach them through their challenges, When you're the person like driving, the steering the ship, when you're not sure what you're going to do next, like what's the appropriate thing, Mm. you've got no one else to turn to unless you find yourself in a community. And so that's definitely something that I really recommend to business owners and pretty much all all the business owners I know are in some kind of business community networking and have mentors. And in that way, this morning I had a coaching call, you know, and we share all our different challenges in the coaching call with our mentor and um, talk openly about how we're going to solve different problems. So Mm -hmm. I feel like it is a little bit more open in entrepreneurial world.
1: Yeah, because you can't do it alone, right? You're not born with these skills. You're not born out of the womb with the skills to run a business, to how to undertake a marketing campaign, how to attract clients. These sort of skills need to be acquired. Oh, you nailed it. I mean. Yeah, in, in the past, you know, when we were part of tribes, we would learn from our elders. So, you know, the village would raise a child and you'd get knowledge from your elders who would pass it on and the continuity of knowledge would, would continue. You know, the, the latest example of that is the, the Aboriginal cultures here in Australia where they were continuous for 60 plus thousand years and that's with no written prose. So it was all oral history that was being transferred. So I know it's an extreme example, but I think it, it, it can actually apply to a modern day scenario.
0: Yeah, passing down through stories and experiences. Uh, for me, like, yeah, starting my business, it's happened a lot, I've moved a lot quicker because I've had a mentor and a community. And this, yeah, as you just said, actually, mark sales and marketing, you know, I wasn't doing any of that in corporate world or setting up a business structure, uh, you know, what's a sensible structure to set up a PTY limited and all of the accounting and finance around that. Sure, I know how to budget for a team, but, do I know about all of the entities set up? So going You're through that- You are too busy breaking
1: your parents' computers. That's,
0: yeah. yeah, and I knew how to do programming and running teams, but sales and marketing, so many different things I didn't know. And I'm always learning, like always learning about how to improve our service and our offer and sales and marketing and so on. And so I think if you were persistent and you stayed long enough, you might you might get there. But what's that African proverb, if you want to go if you want to go fast go alone if you want to go far go together i'd totally mm. buy into that you know that's, like that that really makes sense and i've seen that a lot in my travels as well like uh, um, I um i drove a car in 2008 from london to mongolia and grew a beard bigger than this and uh wow and there was no way you'd be able to make your way through all of these different countries and figure out where you're going to stay and get food and water every night without the help of the community and everyday people so that that metaphor finds that that chat that um, problem and that solution finds its way not just through everyday life but also into business Mm
1: -hmm. wow that that would have been quite the journey and i I take it you just winged it right you didn't book with tripadvisor or booking.com in (laughs) advance
0: (laughs) well i mean i can fill up a whole podcast with this one but it started off with along the lines of I was in a, a Bucks party or Stag Do or whatever they call that in Australia. I forget now. Yeah, in Amsterdam, In Amsterdam. <laughs> and yeah, Bucks. And uh, someone said to me, hey, there's this thing and you drive a sub one liter car from London to Mongolia and it's a charity event and um, there's no fixed route. Do you want to do this thing? And I said, yeah. I may have had a few drinks at the time. <laughs> and uh, so then the next day he said, you know what we shook on last night? And I went, uh, yeah, yeah, I do. He says, we'd well, we better be doing it. So that's what we did. And there, there is no fixed. There's a, there's a start line, there's a finish line, there's a party on day two, and then you can drive any way from London to Mongolia that you like. And it's an amazing way to meet many other cultures and um, be, in many ways, you're going to be reliant on them. And it's true escapism. It's not like a normal holiday where you go and you go and take your culture with you, or you fight. You're very much in a safe place. Here you're, you're all gonna in. Figure out every day. <laughs> where you are going to sleep? Um, but if anything, that taught me: this is a every country that I've come across on the, on my journey feared their neighbour. But when you were in that country, particularly in the smaller communities, people are very willing to help. You know, it's not the you, you see so much negative stuff on the news about good country and bad country, but actually, in those inside of those countries, there are always good people. You know, groups and country uh, groups and countries will have agendas, but actually, you know, the people the people living there in the cities, um, always really really willing to help.
1: Mm. I think that's, that's, that's sage advice, Lloyd, um, and, and it's, a bit of a, it's a bit of a metaphor for life, right? You know, why are we on this earth? That's a question that I've been asking for, for many years now. And I'm sure many of our listeners and, and watchers have asked that as well. But often we don't have the answers and maybe that's okay. Maybe the whole point of life is to go on this journey and experience and feel and see and make your own mind up because you can find any narrative in the world to fit your worldview. Like you said, just now, you know, there's, there's peoples that fear their neighbors, and and that's a common occurrence everywhere. But if you have lived that experience, and you've seen it with your own eyes, that's your truth. That's Mm -hmm. not someone else's narrative. That's what you've seen. And if you can incorporate that into your broader life, fantastic, I think you're, you're living to your fullest.
0: I think travel is the best educator. If you're able, it's obviously a huge luxury too. But if you're, so many problems in the world would be solved if people would travel more and visit these other countries, and see what their cultures like, and realize how actually, as people, there are so many things that we have in common. And we might, you know, the irony is. So I've I've um, I've been seeing someone since December, and she's from she's from the Philippines and um we so we we're roughly the same age and yet and so what amazes me is that we were listening to the same music we had a lot of the same interests yet we were a complete i was in london she was in the philippines we had completely different uh upbringings but yet we've got so much in common it blows my mind and um you know she's she's grown up on some island somewhere and you know and i'm i'm in a About an hour south of London, they couldn't be more different. But yet, in some ways, we're so similar. And I just think that must be true for so many people around the world.
1: Yeah, 100%, 100%. Lloyd, coming back to this panic attack and the profound change, I'm interested to know, do you think that, and and obviously drawing on your own experience, because we can't broad brush it for every scenario, but do you think that, it was this really intense almost life-threatening at least to, to your brain it would have seen life-threatening events that actually kicked off that change in your life or do you think that you would have maybe got here organically and taken a different oh, path? no,
0: i think that was a strong trigger for it because i mean around about that time as well i'd known some young pretty young people who had um, died from heart issues and I, I, people who I thought were quite fit as well. You know, I had a next-door neighbor who I got on well with who died in his sleep, and it really shocked me. And, um, and so I thought, well, you know, there was, a, there was definitely a selfish element there when I had this, what I thought was a heart attack. I thought, well, I better get this thing checked out. You know, I'm running 6Ks on a Tuesday for this pain in the domain thing where, you know, you really, really exert yourself. And um, I thought, I don't want to be conking out, I want to carry on. And so when I found out it was a panic attack, I was like, okay, great, I don't have a heart problem, but definitely don't want one of those anymore. And it's like, then I I had someone else in my life, like a uh, a girlfriend from when I was in my um, teens. She had moved here to Australia with her husband now, and her husband also died young of cancer, and... Um, she was sharing with me about that like they were both triathletes and so she just couldn't understand like how on earth could he get something like that and she said the only thing that she thought that could have possibly been a a driver for it was he had a very stressful job Mm -hmm. and I just that was a very I just thought well I've seen enough data here like I'm it's not that I'm hiding from stress it's more like if there was just that feeling in the gut that I was not in control of my destiny. And that you know, now it's that freedom again, if I don't like something, I can either say, you know, what? I'm going to go with it, I'm going to ride this thing, or I'm going to say, No, I don't want to do that. It's not what I want to do. And it's so I would say the panic attack, not only did it make me realize that panic attacks are a real thing. So, you know, for people out there who've had panic attacks. That stuff's mental. Definitely don't want to do that again. You know, that's, that's a scary thing. Um, and yeah, it was life-changing. Mm-hmm. And
1: it sounds like it, it was actually a symptom of a much deeper issue, a much deeper misalignment between your path and where you were at at the time. And maybe sometimes if, if somebody has this panic attack or if they're feeling extremely stressed, it's an opportunity to reassess the overall direction of their life because you know in the end we only get one shot at it one shot let's make it count right
0: yeah absolutely you know um in more recent times i uh maybe about a year ago i was thinking about important things that i wanted to change i was thinking about you know increasing confidence i'd like to um have more deeper meaningful relationships i want to um improve or lessen anxiety about things even as a business owner i want to have a more positive mindset so i had all of these things that i was meditating on and um, i was also getting stomach pains and i've had them for years and i think they were largely psychological because or mentally impact you know stress related or things like that and someone made this passing comment once i'd heard about um, ayahuasca which is uh like a psychedelic medicine from the uh, You know South America, and uh, I'd largely taken an interest, but not like a strong desire to do that thing. But when someone said, you know, I did this thing and it fixed my gut, I'm I'm like, okay, where do I go for this thing? Don't care how much money I have to spend to get this thing. I want to try it. So I went there. Now, what this is all about? Many people go and do this, and it's not like a, a party drug. It's definitely not that. This is something that's administered by someone who's been experienced and doing this for a long time there are when i did it there was someone who was um a uh, a psychologist who was there who was saying this is the real deal like this is you know he actually refers people there on the side to get to know themselves and release things and for me i went in with those meditations of increasing confidence and looking at how why i not been focusing on wanting deep relationships again perhaps because I was in an eight-year relationship before you know all of these things I went in there and I had this experience with the ayahuasca and it was profound. it was uh, something that helped me understand uh, the reason that those things exist and it was and it, it's going to sound very woo-woo when I explain this but for all of those things, the answer was I had this profound feeling of being loved by the universe and it was the most amazing experience. And that sounds like, well, perhaps, Lloyd, you could have some kind of euphoric drug experience and that would be it. I, you know, for anyone out there, if they ever do the, go and try this thing, it is, you know, you, you would realize it's not that, you know, this is this is the real deal. And I I just felt this profound feeling and it felt like it was the answer to all of those things, you know. Really like wear your heart on your sleeve, go all in, be confident, just be, be all um, the 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 lo- bit, that feeling of being loved was everything that was an answer to all of those questions, and also as a part of that experience, I felt like what it was to die, which sounds crazy, mm. I know, but I was okay with it. So it's made me when I've read more into this, I understand why some people who are who are going to die, who have a terminal illness, look to go and uh, seek things like psychedelic treatment which is becoming more and more recognized in Australia. And so I did this thing and so someone as an outside observer say, well okay, Lloyd went off and had a psychedelic and he felt great and that was that, uh, I'm sure a drug would do that. But here's the tangible thing, my stomach cramps just like that, my, like almost gone, you know, just that is a tangible measurable thing undeniable right so that was when we're talking about why and things like that that experience is something i would encourage people to think if they want to know themselves and help understand their why and the things that drive them then uh, that's that's something to consider
1: yeah wow i can really relate um eight years ago i actually went to south america and i spent three weeks in the amazon rainforest Wow. With, um, with a couple of shamans and a group of people. And yeah, we ended up having five ayahuasca ceremonies over wow, the course okay. of three weeks. <laughs> wow. um, and look, you know, probably similar to, to yourself, I had my reasons for, for going there and, and doing that. I just lost my business partner and good friends um, to, to suicide at the time. Oh and I was God. completely blocked professionally, spiritually, and mentally. So I was at the stage of my life where I just, I, I was hurting, but I also didn't really know what my direction should be. And that, that, that caused, you know, me to seek these answers. And yeah, like I, I consider myself pretty fortunate because I've had a, a very good upbringing, lots of love, not a lot of resources, but lots and lots of love um, and, and lots of opportunities. But Some of the people that were on that retreat with me had had the most horrific lives you can imagine. And this was for them their absolute last straw. If this didn't help them overcome their demons and some of them were physical and some of them were mental, then they openly said it because we we did group therapy that this was it for them. This was their last straw. And I can tell you now I've got shivers down my spine. (sighs) The changes that this medicine can induce both physical and also mental and spiritual is just it's indescribable and you're right it's not a drug it this is not a drug this is a medicine that has been used for thousands and thousands of years by the mesoamerican cultures from south america through to north america and just because western medicine is new to understanding this and unlocking what it does doesn't mean that it cannot have impact. You know, you're, you're a walking example of, of how it could change a physical issue. I'm a walking example of how it completely reprogrammed my mind, stripped my ego, reset everything, and I've been on an amazing path since then. So, yeah,
0: reset. I mean, that's. Yeah. I think that's what it is for many people. Um, I know someone who went on that and um, was getting over experience from uh, family. Uh, close family members passing, and um, she wasn't expecting what came up, and it really helped her process those things. And uh, it's like she got she got an incredible release from that. And so yeah, it's it was an amazing experience, and um, yeah, it helps you helps you know thyself, all right.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think it, it it really comes back to this this conversation that we had earlier about the journey of life, right you determine what course you take. And you also determine what tools you have to help you in the process. Mm -hmm. If those tools are a beaten up car that you drive from the UK to Mongolia. fantastic. (laughs) If the tool is a disgustingly putrid tasting plant medicine from the depths (laughs) in the Amazon, I think that's fine too. As long as you're not hurting anyone, and as long as you're doing it for the right reasons, why not?
0: Absolutely. And you know what you were saying earlier about, uh, we were talking about finding your why and um, spiritual elements of that, actually. So some of the philosophies I tune into are um, in Stoicism and Buddhism, and I think they're in some ways similar, actually. They they sound like opposites. They're very similar philosophies. And um, I I read the Dalai Lama's Guide to Happiness, and uh, there's one piece in there on the meaning of life, and don't you want to know that? And of course... Every philosophy and religion will have different views, but this one makes sense to me. And it's very simple for him. He just says, um, the purpose of life is to help others, and if you can't help them, don't harm them. And whether someone believes that to be true or not, from the purpose of happiness, it's like it's very rewarding to help somebody. It might not seem so like in the moment that you're going to go and do someone a favor. But for me... Uh, in, in my business for example I've really enjoyed helping people out because there's a pain that I had in that I've been working long hours in companies and so forth and I wanted more time and location flexibility and so now that's come out in my way I'm helping people get more time because it was my pain that I wanted to you know I wanted to get more time and so that's that's come out and I think a part of that is from a philosophical why right there
1: it's so important to be asking these questions and and to ask them often as well i think because your why could actually change you're not the same person as you were a year ago five years ago ten years ago i'm not either and it's okay for your why to change particularly as we get maybe older and hopefully more wiser
0: (laughs) yeah definitely i think uh 20 year old me and 30 year old me and dare i say 40 year old me are very different now and um not just the hair right (laughs) yeah (laughs) May I got more hair here now? <laughs> um, I think every every twelve weeks, ninety days is uh, something that many businesses do. They have, you know, they they look at their goals. I do the same. I look at my goals in my business, but I also evaluate where I am on my why. Like, is this working for me on my why? Is this giving me that time that I want? Am I working with the businesses that I want? Is this? I review. Um, is is my relationship serving me well you know all of these things am I doing what I want to be doing and so I sit down every 12 weeks 90 days and I have a real deep think about that and uh, it's actually something, a pr- uh, process I do with my coach and uh, it's it's really good like it make it helps you set a new course if necessary you know, I, and my, for my business the guiding light for me is you know time and flexibility so I won't generally do things that I won't scale my business in a direction that just scales my time. That's not going to work. And um, and I hire people who are um, big in EQ, like as in they're team players, they're empathetic. That's the first lens that I'm looking at when I'm hiring people. And I think a lot of people, when they're looking at hiring operators, are looking so much at a different lens. And I think it's a mistake. They might be looking at someone from the perspective of, are they some kind of a boss character who's going to, Uh, make sure that things get done in a sort of dictator kind of style, whereas I'm really looking for and I think there's a necessary thing to put controls in place and make sure things get done. Absolutely. But I'm really looking it's my first lens when I'm working with people is empathy. And Mm. how are they listening and working with people? Because I think that's how you eventually get buy in and get things done. And it makes it so much of a pleasure along the way. Like, why am I doing this? And the values I've installed in my business are all related to these whys and heart and humor is one of them. And so it's one of my first things that I look at when I'm when I'm hiring someone. I think is this person are they are they someone who is going to be open, put their heart in their sleeve, have humor, uh, be an open card, and talk candidly with the, their um, our clients like they're a dear friend. That's one of the first lenses I look through, and. I'm t- I'm, I know I'm talking a lot about business here but this is really important to me in life you know I, if I feel like I'm on the right track if I'm able to talk with my team and talk with my businesses that I'm working with like they're a dear friend you know it just makes a huge difference to how I work and how I live
1: yeah real real genuine connections so important for for anything to run really you know because you're right top down it'll probably get the job done the controls will be ticked off and you know your project will be deployed or your slas have been met but have you actually built a cohesive team that has longevity for the long term yeah are you creating a nice workspace for people that want to come back and actually help invest into the company and and improve things i think these are some questions that that a lot of us in leadership positions have grappled with. Um, and, and there can be there can be two sides to, to a person, like sometimes you just have days when you are top down. But I think if you come back to your why and what's really important, then you should be quite successful as a leader, right? Mm.
0: Well, I think a lot of people just, it, it takes time to move into that position. I mean, I started out as a techie, I was a programmer, and the next thing I was leading technical projects, and then the next thing I was starting to manage people and so I was really looking at it from the perspective of is stuff getting on done on time, is there feedback loops, are there controls and things like that, kinda of like a project manager, I guess. But then eventually moving into the more soft skills side of things, like, are the people okay? Are they going in the direction they want? Are they doing is this serving them and, and is it the interests of the people? aligning with the interests of the project because that's where the real magic happens like where people are super motivated to get it done where they stay with a company for a long term and so a lot of managers aren't yet there at that leap they need to make into being a leader and it takes time and it's not and sometimes it involves like giving up the reins a little bit and starting to trust other people so i think it's it's not easy for a lot of people to make that leap and there's no perfect leader and there's no perfect manager, But and I'm certainly learning all the time. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't think it's one or the other. It's not manager or leader and it, it's certainly an evolution that you grow from. It's a, it's a growth journey all the way through.
1: Mm-hmm. What do you reckon are the, the top traits that define a leader versus a manager?
0: Um, you know what? There's a book called Good to Great by Jim Collins. And he talks about um, what he calls level five leaders. And he looks at, I think it's a couple of thousand companies. And then he weeds it down to just, I think it's like 20, 20 companies that no matter what the market conditions, always succeeded regardless. And there's a number of things in here. But one of the things, one of the reasons why they all had what he called level five leaders And one of the big differentiators between what he calls a Level 4 leader and a Level 5 leader is a Level 4 leader might be this big, charismatic kind of person who drives everybody. But when the Level 4 leader leaves, the performance of the company implodes. Whereas a Level 5 leader is quite often this kind of humble person who builds other leaders and grows a culture such that when they leave, the culture and the performance of that company continues and they i think we're led to believe like if we we see stereotypes of what a leader might be sometimes we see this you know this bold extrovert character but actually a lot of the level five leaders are more of these kind of humble behind the scenes kind of characters who are slowly building things up Uh, so humility is a huge part of it and Mm. culture and inst- and installing other leaders. And so quite often actually, not so egocentric.
1: Yeah, and you know, as we talked about before, there's a, a really good way of destroying that ego, if you don't want to do it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Lord, I'm interested to know, you, you've mentioned quite a few um, really, really important skill sets. What do you actually do at the moment? So you know, as a fractional director of operations, what, what does that actually mean?
0: Yeah, sure. Thanks for asking. Um, So we help busy online businesses with teams of typically 10 to 30 um, get out of their. We help the business owners get out of their day to day operations. So typically, the type of businesses I'm working with are uh, marketing agencies, e commerce businesses, where they're selling some kind of product online, and they might have these fairly large teams but they're not at the scale yet where they've looked at hiring the likes of say a COO or as I call it a a director of operations. And so we come in on like a, a month to month basis so they can get access to a team member like an outsourced general manager if you like who can come in, help run the team and get that business owner out of the day to day running because generally you find in a business there's two, at a big company there's two kind of characters that will help run a scalable business. There's the visionary, or CEO typically, who's coming up with the big ideas, the strategy, the relationships, um, sales. And then you have that COO, and that's what we're putting in, or director of operations, who's looking at leading the team, overseeing the projects and operations, and driving process improvement. So basically what I'm doing is, I'm providing a business with an operator, and that operator's there on a month-to-month basis to get get things running like a well-oiled machine. And ultimately, it sounds like an odd goal, we're going to make ourselves redundant. So we want to build the team in such the way that all the reds on their dashboards are green, the team are, are, are autonomous, things are running smoothly, and if they eventually scale to a point where they've got a larger team and they want to hire a full-timer or there's someone in their team that sees what they're doing and they want to replace we just hand over the reins and let them go. And why, what's in it for us? My business basically runs on referrals. I've done very little marketing. In fact, it's a growth area for me is I'm constantly putting out education-based content, but I haven't done things like paid ads yet, which I'll probably eventually do. But what's in it for me is do a good job, get a referral from the client, and move on to the next one. So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a fairly unique business. I haven't seen others, doing this in Australia and it, it started off as me, like I was the director of operations, I was the person running a, a large e-commerce business. And then uh, openly fractional meaning they only have access to me part-time. And then when I got a second client, that was cool, I was running two clients, is it making quite a lot of money at this point, I'm getting paid twice, they know they've not got me full-time. And at three I was completely maxed out, uh, that was enough. Uh, great times, and when I got referred a fourth client, super duper. There's no way I was going to handle that myself. So that's when I started hiring, and so effectively the way my business has evolved now, it's it's more of an agency. So I hire a director of operations. I've got a team of director of operations actually located in the U.S. where most of my business is, mm-hmm. and I'm looking for a match between the business owner, their culture and um and the appropriate director of operations from my team because an early mistake I made was I naturally assumed that if I'm hiring for me then that will be a great fit for the client but now I have to look through two lenses I have to look through these are my lenses and my values and my culture and what's the what's the fit for the client and originally my first my first client when I'd scaled to a point where I needed to start extracting myself out I said hey look you know, I cut you a deal, we're put in someone, it will cost you less, it's not me anymore. Um, and I put in someone who was just completely different, like as in this person, big mistake out here, this person was great for another client where he was more consultancy and soft focus and that other business had very sort of a warm environment, likes to really slowly consider things and what they're gonna do. But I put them into a place where they just wanna make decisions super fast fail fast if it's the wrong direction let's just turn around go that way so it's a bit like dating in the sense of it's a bit (laughs) like matching up the client with the director of operations that's going to work and then and then i support the director of operations in there so they're going to be i'm typically hiring someone who i think is going to be uh skill wise who i think's stronger than me actually but what they get from me is they get a sounding board because i've been doing this they get a sounding board they can bounce ideas off like hey i've got this people situation between fred and jane emerging i'm not quite sure how to handle it what do you think lloyd or they think i'm going to do this and i'll give them my two cents and they ultimately you know run it as they are Mm -hmm. so yeah that's how i've evolved my business
1: yeah interesting and it sounds like part art part science and i can see the eq quotient coming in a lot because you mentioned eq before and how important of a value that is to you what you're talking about is actually a really strong manifestation of it because it's not enough to just see a cv and go yep she'll be right you actually have to see how the personalities into play and how it's yeah. all gonna fit together and how it's all gonna gel right
0: i mean what i've one of the beauties of um in the beginning I was hiring people who were referred to me. Like, that's, a, that's the best way, because you're not going out cold, you've been referred someone. Um, I'd asked, I saw, asked around in my network in the beginning, and now people have heard of me a bit more, and so people will go, oh, Lloyd, Lloyd's always interested in finding people, and then I've got people kind of ready, uh, who I have long-running conversations with. But as a result of talking openly, uh, particularly, say, podcasts like this about my values, and um, what I find important, I now find that I attract people who know how important things like empathy um, and EQ are. So that's, that's, yeah, that's where it's kind of, that's how it's come to this. And um, it's become a lot easier as a result of doing things like putting out education-based content because naturally people are coming to me with, whereas before I was having to search through. Mm. Yeah, yeah, you've um,
1: positioned yourself as a subject matter expert and now you're starting to attract clients organically. That's, that's the best way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I hope the next step is marketing. And like I said, that's a growth area for me. I'm always learning.
1: Yep. And I can see you're obviously super passionate about what you do. I mean, you're sitting here with this giant smile on your face after you <laughs> reeled off your, your dream um, your your dream position. What would you say to people that are thinking about making that transition and that plunge like you did from the corporate world into their own to their own path
0: pretty much the theme i talked about earlier when when i talked about the travel and the rally and all of those things the importance of community so just as in life i had uh just as how in my adventure from london to mongolia i relied on community in business it being such a lonely sport you're going to get there so much faster if you engage in a community so i'd say yep um if 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 you if what you're going to do really resonates with your why go for it but i would say get you'll get there a lot faster if you find a mentor and you find an entrepreneur you find a community of entrepreneurs because they will have made mistakes that that you can learn from rather you're going to make them all yourself and you will make mistakes anyway mm-hmm. but you'll get there a lot faster so that's really the thing i'd recommend mentorship and community is very important for business
1: yeah but Also, you're saying that it's really important to have your why in place and understand that and be aligned with that because otherwise, you can end up just drifting and investing into something that is not aligned to your path.
0: Yeah, quite right. Um, I mean, knowing your why and like, my why comes out in my core values. And I think with other, quite often when I go into a business, I might see that they've got core values that haven't been looked at for a long time or they don't exist or they've got 10 and tens too many. Like really, you need three to five and the business owner knows them and really believes in them and really walks the walk. And if that's true, then it becomes very clear to the business that this is important and this is how we should, this is the first lens that we should have when we hire people It like do, are these the kind of people that you know that live by these kind of values? Great, and they're, they're the right fit to sit, to be on this bus now do they have the skills that's the second lens you know hmm. because over time people who with your business a long time might move into a different seat a different role but the thing that is an absolute must-have from the very get-go is are they resonating with your values and your why and if they're not if they
1: are then if you're hungry you'll get those skills you'll learn them it, you know it's it's amazing what yeah. we are capable of when we truly embark on something so yeah and, and the flip
0: side is unfortunately true as well. Like if you do this exercise of you look through your business and you list out who really adheres to your why and who doesn't, you know pretty clearly like who belongs on the bus and who doesn't in the long term. Like, you know, it's it's important. And it's quite, when I show this exercise to business owners and say, hey, look, you know, you've got your values. Is this really, really important to you? Now have a look at your people in your business. And talk to them about your values, make sure they know, make sure that when they do something that is exemplary, call it out openly and say, hey, look, this is a real, uh, you know, for me, it's, I've got, um, we are artists is one of my core values. And I think it's to show that we are proud of our work and we own it. And so if I see someone who's just created something new and innovative and they're proud of it, I just like call it out as much as I can. And the flip side is true as well. Like if someone's not resonating with your why, then you need to have those conversations and say, Hey, look, this, maybe we're not on the same page long term, like I really want you to buy into this vision. And if you buy, if you have your why clear cut, and you hire people that really align with you, then things will go a lot easier.
1: Awesome. Awesome. So what's next for you, Lloyd? Where's uh, where are you headed at the moment? (laughs)
0: <laughs> well just before just before here I was off uh, I went for a surf and uh, and after here directly I'm gonna be off salsa dancing so that's, uh, <laughs> very, very I meant, um,
1: I meant more in general in, in life and in business oh, but that's okay right?
0: What's next oh, okay. oh straight after this wow I don't know <laughs> I think um, I think for me I'm happy with where I am actually you know um, I'm not trying to 10x actually I don't have that bold thing I I um, I think the next move for me is more along the lines of now looking to scale a little bit more through, uh, through things like um, doing some paid advertising. So that's next for strategy in my business. But in terms of my model and my offer, uh, no change there. Like, I think we've got something working We're delivering good results. It's Coca-Cola. It's a working formula. I don't want to change it. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to leave it there for now.
1: And fair to say you're still enjoying the journey? It still is a journey for you. Yeah,
0: I haven't lost any more hair back here. So it must be good. Nice. <laughs>
1: Excellent. And uh, Lloyd, so if the audience want to connect with you, what's the best way for them to, to get in touch and have a little bit more of a, a gander?
0: Yeah, sure. Just head to my website, virtual And there's a contact page there. I'm also giving away my book as well. So we've got uh, I've just got a fresh new cover. Uh, nine ways to leave your day-to-day operations that's there on the website you can download the PDF and uh, it's also available on Amazon in print and in Kindle if people prefer having something physical to read
1: fantastic well good luck with it all and thank you so much for coming on the show it's been a real pleasure connecting with you again
0: it's been a pleasure Daniel have a great day
1: well ladies and gentlemen thank you very much for tuning in we've covered quite a bit of uh, juicy material today things like the head versus the heart versus the gut, those deep considerations in the context of the working world. Covered the need to not ignore panic attacks and actually do something about it. (laughs) And the age old question of manager versus leader, what defines and is the difference between the two, as well as value-based decision-making and how they can actually percolate into all aspects of managing a business or being and working in a business. So plenty more in there, but if you've enjoyed this episode, we'd really love and appreciate your support. Spread the love, share the knowledge, give us some feedback, like, share, comment, all that good stuff. It does make a big difference and allows me to connect with even more fantastic guests such as Lloyd and bring more goodness to you. You can find more episodes at dancingwithdoubt.com or on my YouTube channel. And as always, thanks for lending me your ears wherever in the world you are. Till next time, may success be with you.